What you're about to hear is a talk back for episode 9 of Streams and Variations. If you haven't heard episode 9 yet, please listen to that first, as we will be discussing the stories and songs from that episode. Let's get to it. and variations to talk back for episode nine my name is jamie johnson i'm joined today by my co-producer mr sean urker hello i am also joined this evening by miss madeline brown hello i am joined by mr michael ripley hi i am joined by miss melanie peterson why hello and joined by mr ellis meek hello hello and here we are at our last episode of the year We've uh, brought together over the year about, uh, oh, what is that, 81 artists, Sean? Uh, give or take. Asked them to create and put together these shows that we've been making. We've had a wonderful run, and it's a great time. So let's start right in with this one. Um, we started this uh, particular stream off with a uh, prompt. Sean, can you talk to that for me, please? Sure. So this one, because it started with a uh, writer in a monologue, the prompt was a song uh, so that the first writer, Madeline, would have a similar kind of uh, prompt experience as all the other writers having a song to build off of. And uh, this particular song uh, was a song of mine, uh, and it's a song called Prairie Fire. Don't lie awake there, darling, beside me on the bed. Staring at the stucco and cracks above our head I can hear you breathing softly I can feel your warmth expire See the dying embers in the field Once a prairie fire And the thing about this song is that I wrote this song uh, shortly after we performed our first episode of this podcast. Now, the first episode was performed live just before the pandemic hit uh, at the uh, In Basements on Sundays uh, event. Um, and that first performance uh, contained a song uh, by Rachel Cardiello, uh, who also performs under the uh, name Zinnia, uh, called Prairie Fire. And in her song, she was uh, singing about uh, some stuff that came out of a monologue before her song. And it included lines where she described a character as having eyes that were burning like a prairie fire. And I really just, you know, I, I, I loved the visual of that and the... the, the, the 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 metaphor of the song kind of being rooted in this this visual metaphor of prairie fire and so i went home and i wrote my own prairie fire song you woke me up with music you were singing in the hall there was daylight in your window there were maps hung on your wall little pushpins in the places where you felt the ground underneath your feet Places where the roads don't go, places where sky and water meet. So when we got to this last episode, I thought this would be a nice little kind of full circle thing to take a song that was inspired by the first episode and use it as the inspiration for the last episode. And so this Prairie Fire song is uh, about a relationship. Uh, I kind of wrote it as this non-linear uh, narrative that summarizes a relationship. Uh, I think in a lot of ways it kind of bears a structural similarity to like uh, Bob Dylan's Tangled Up in Blue, where you're just kind of getting these vignettes of periods in a relationship that aren't necessarily in order, but you get kind of people meeting, uh, falling in love, kind of nearing the end of a relationship, love dying, and then kind of the afterwards of that. Which, and the non-linear aspect I find interesting, I'll talk about this a little bit later, because it kind of felt like this episode then did the exact same thing. It was like a non-linear approach to a relationship, where every piece seemed to be about either meeting someone, falling in love with someone, the love dying, breaking up afterwards, 
but it Absolutely. wasn't in the right order either. And I don't know if it's a funny way to take that, but that's... Uh, no, a- a- absolutely, because that's how I looked at the episode as well. I'm like, boy, we've gone through this relationship from just about every angle we possibly can just to try and understand that each little nugget comes out and we build this huge picture of, of this, uh, essentially... Uh, the love character or the one that either wants to be in love or is falling out of love or or the one that is the instigator in all of these instances and we see it from so many different angles it's just wonderful to have this lovely complete full picture of a human being you were all i needed or required keep away the cold and light my way it's like a prairie fire Days turn into weeks, months turn into years. Your love turns into memories, my confidence defeats. Starting over isn't easy, but I'm growing never high. Building something younger from the wreckage of a roaring prairie fire. Which brings us directly to Miss Madeline Brown. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I had no idea. I didn't know it was a song of yours, Sean. That makes me like doubly excited. <laughs> I kept meaning to. I was like, I who? Where did it come from? How did it come about? So I now I'm, I'm absolutely excited. All right, and so sorry, just go ju- ahead, just to introduce the piece, just so that we know what we're talking about here. Yeah. That led into Madeline's uh, monologue, which was called uh, "The Music and the Melody." It's Frank Ocean. It is. It's the one where he's saying something like, come home to a full plate. (laughs) I swear those are the lyrics. They are. Yeah, Frank Ocean, you totally know it. And the melody is, it's in my head. Well, it was funny because I was thinking about this morning and I thought, why did I not take the fire imagery? I have no idea. When I listened to the episode this morning, I was like, that's golden. And nonetheless, I didn't go in that direction. Um, No, I immediately clicked into the relationship beat. Uh, I really liked the relationship in the song. Like, I felt like I knew it and understood it in some way. And I think what I liked most about it was the whole idea of recollection. Like, I felt like it was sort of, I, I got that sense of kind of going through it at different pieces and memory. And to that point, I'd never written anything from a song either. So then I, I went to the idea, too, of trying to recollect a song, recollect a song, which I myself am terrible at. I can't, it's entirely autobiographical what I've written there in that perspective of trying to like sing a melody back to someone, which I've never been able to do. Oh, that's not completely true. It's not completely true, but I, I, I am that person that I'm like, have you heard this song? And then I start trying to piece it together and it just sort of like slowly dies out. And then I just sort of give up and, and sort of say whatever to it. Um, so I decided I also because I liked these characters so much I like recollection I thought oh I want to write that scene described in the song of like the morning like I something along the words of like I woke you up with music or or you woke me up with music I was like oh I want to write that I want to go back to the beginning of the relationship when I think it was really good and imagine what that morning was like and how that person woke the other person up and then truly yeah it was a lot of my own experience in terms of my own relationship with music and and how I react to it and how much I love it but I also feel like I'm terrible at it as much as I still pursue it and go after it um yeah I've just never been one that it comes totally natural to and those are kind of the two big kind of sticking points for me in terms of writing the material and, and following that thread and I love to listening to the episode I I knew I was going to end with this person they're trying to remember the song the whole time and that's part of what they're recollecting and then at the end they remember the song and they're about to sing the song and I had a draft where I didn't where I had them actually sing it and then I was like but what I love now is that it feeds so perfectly into the song that comes out of that comes next in the episode so hearing it today I was like oh this fits beautifully in what it almost as if it goes in this is actually the song yeah in some ways yeah you know? I, I I thought that too the way that it works yeah. out like that because it goes right into Sky's piece yeah, 
Yeah, and I swear I was not being smart. I totally had forgot the fact that it would be edited that way. It just was a coincidence. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool just to see the overall arc of how every piece fit together. Listening to the whole episode as a whole was kind of fascinating that way. That's one one thing I really thought about was just, uh, yeah, the different aspects of this relationship and how they were all explored out of order. Just weird to see all the different facets, but it was really beautiful. Melanie, what do you have to, to think about uh, Madeline's piece? Oh, I absolutely loved the piece. Um, I thought it was so much fun, and I thought the actress reading it was so amazing. Um, her energy was, like, totally beautiful, and I felt really bad for someone who would have such a hard time um, singing. <laughs> and, and it seemed like they really wanted to. And being a singing teacher, I've had a couple students who really wanted to sing and just couldn't seem to find it, like tone deaf. And so I could kind of relate to it and just sort of imagine what it must have sounded like. And most of the people who really want to sing are the, they want it more than anyone else, the ones who are tone deaf. And the thing that is kind of interesting here, uh, and it's not... uh maybe entirely explicit or intentional in Madeline's piece, but when you look at the episode as a whole, I start to feel like, you know, this this idea of someone, like you're saying, Melanie, who uh, really wishes they could sing, wishes they could express themselves in music better, uh, wishes, you know, that they could, they could make, find a way to make this work because they love music so much is kind of a metaphor for all of these characters and all of these pieces longing for this love or just not being able to fig- make love work and trying to understand why did I, why couldn't I make that relationship work? That was such a disaster. What is wrong with me? And it's almost like, you know, why can't I sing is, is, a, is a metaphor for that. I don't know. Her use of the word, the way she, I don't know, it really struck me, but the way she... Uh, chewed on the word embouchure <laughs> was, so, was so good it was such a great choice such a brave uh lovely sort of subtext filled choice that uh, <laughs> you couldn't help just like her care for her you know and feel feel empathy and sympathy for her situation and i think we've all been i don't know that is a big statement I have been in the situation the morning after wondering, you know, did what happen? You know, was it real? And uh, and yeah, that was captured. Beautifully. But I think even if if we've never been in in that situation, I'm uh, we still have the ability to actually figure it out and feel that emotional weight in our own hands. I mean, that's the ability of 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 this character specifically that you can feel every little emotion that's being, being thrown out to this, this, well, for lack of a better word, this poor person that's in the bed beside her, that that is getting all this weight of, of, of this, this character and this life of this character. And it's being thrown at them and it's being thrown at them. I just wish I could see that face. Of that person as they were waking up. I'd like to see whether it's smiling or it's ready to run. Okay, that's what I'm looking for. It's smiling. It's obviously smiling. <laughs> I, in my own mind, that 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 person is smiling, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. Madeline, uh, one question I have here. So, uh, in the piece, the character yeah. is uh, trying to remember a Frank Ocean song. And yeah. has the line come home to a full plate? Is this a real song? It's a real song. It's okay. Godspeed. It's Godspeed. It's Godspeed. And yeah, listen, it's somewhere in the first part. It's not that line, but it's to me. And it's I, I have another like question. It. I specifically didn't look this up. Yeah. Uh, is yeah. Caroline uh, humming it? Is that the song that she's humming? That's a good question. I couldn't pick it out, which I thought yeah. was perfect. Okay, good. I had no idea what she was humming. Um, and I don't know that I indicated in the stage directions now that I no, think you about didn't. it. You didn't say. I didn't. And so I just thought, okay. you know, if she recognized the line, maybe she would on her own hum the actual song. And I didn't look, the reason I didn't look it up 
is because yeah. uh, I put music in the background of the piece and I, I, I harmonized the music to her humming. So the music is what she hummed kind of like built out. And I, if it was a real song, I wouldn't, I didn't want to go listen to it and then be like, Oh, I'm just making the Frank it, yeah, Ocean yeah, yeah. song now. I kind of wanted to, like, I wanted to do something different. Uh, so uh, anyway, I thought that was, I thought that was fun. No, I love I and I really loved the music underneath all of the pieces in that way too. I, I thought it gave them a kind of great momentum. But yeah, no, I, I have no idea what she was humming, and that's all I wanted. Um, which brings us to our next piece in this episode, um, called Unrequited by Sky Wallace. Get out of my head. Will I be strangled every time I try to dig in? Did I say I want to be left out or did I beg to be let in? Did my inaction cause a reaction to happen with it? I was taught the ways of how to open up my mouth and dear. But being taught it doesn't mean that I mastered my fear. What do you think about Sky's piece? Um, I really loved it. I thought it was beautiful, beautifully played. There was a really great line, a flame struggling to keep it lit. Like, as in like a metaphor for love, right? Trying to keep it going. I actually wrote that down too. And it, the line is, and then there's you, a flame that I'm trying to keep lit and I'm trying not to fly too close to it. Uh, and the reason I wrote it down yeah. was because I was like, oh, it's my prairie fire. It <laughs> 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 came oh, back. Yeah. We got the fire back. Yeah, I just thought that was a great line, too. And thought, oh, what a great way to describe um, unrequited love. Yeah, well, and, and, and I also think that 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 lovely phrase, which comes from Madeline's piece, where she she literally says at one point that, that she's with a my first unrequited love music is mirrored so well within what, what what the simplicity of Sky's song. Um, except that this time, we're not somebody trying to explain it. It's somebody that's caught up inside and is lo kind of locked inside trying to figure out what's going on with themselves. I mean, you guys like that, that line about fire. For me, it was like, if life is a love song, I can't find it. If life is a love song, I can't spit it out is the fact that this this character has sort of locked themselves in this place where there there is no forward movement there is no backwards movement there is no inside there is outside they're just stuck in this headspace where nothing can happen where they're locked into this place and they and they're just tumbling it around over and over in their heads and and they're losing themselves at least that's that's my take on it Sean uh, the thing that I I liked about this song is that uh, it works very well as uh, a love song or an unrequited love song. Uh, and I think there's a universality to it that uh, if Sky uh, does perform it or use it in other places, I think, you know, it, it, it's a very easy song to identify with. But in the particular context of this podcast, coming after Madeline's piece, I feel like it's not a love song at all because no, no. the or not an unrequited love song because the line that she's taking the whole song from unrequited in Madeline's piece is about saying her relationship with music yeah. is an unrequited love song. And so I think Sky is actually writing about the creative process and uh, what it's like to struggle to uh, come up, you know, with new work, with new music and, you know, kind of, almost the relationship with the muse is the unrequited uh, relationship. And I, I, I liked that there's that kind of double uh, meaning to it, kind of multiple facets. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's a wonderful concept of, of being able, it's it, what we talked about with, geez, my verbiage is now gone. Um, it's what we talked about with um, Graydon a long time ago. 
in that if there's a way to make something mean two things, it's very good because it allows a breadth of understanding and a breadth of, of observation and a way to come at it from different angles. It, it, it's always a good, good thought process if it can be pull, pulled out that way. Um, Michael, any thoughts on this particular piece? I completely missed the unrequited connection to music that, Sean, you so succinctly uh, uh, unearthed. Uh, for me, it was definitely, uh, well, maybe maybe it just, maybe I heard what I wanted to hear because I've been in so many, especially in my younger years, relationships that were one-sided relationships where I immediately placed myself in the friend zone and um, only confessed my love because that always works, right? Confessions <laughs> of love when it was far too late. And uh, but that paralysis that was mentioned and uh, the anxiety that comes with just loving, I think, permeated everything that comes after. And with bloodletting, I can see, um, I can see, I can see the seeds of bloodletting in the song. I really, I've, I felt it was a, um, an, an obvious uh, bridge to the themes that were explored in the song that I ended up using as my, as my cue. Yeah, there's there's a definite thread through everything because of the the, the particular relationship that we're that we're looking at. We seem to find. Um, you found the lightness in it. Madeline found the lightness in it. The, this song, if we if we consider it as the relationship rather than the relationship to music, which Sean is taking, which I think is absolutely valid too. But if we take it as the the quote relationship, it, it, it we're sliding into a little bit of a darker territory of a of of the concept of like I was saying before, a character that is kind of locked without knowing which way to go or actually being able to go anyway because of their own confusion, uh, inability to move. Um, there's many ways to look at it. But that 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 concept of being locked in place just just seems to play throughout this whole thing. I mean, especially in the next monologue, we're finding a person that is completely locked in place, at least, again, in my own particular way of viewing things. For, for me, the song in the end becomes a fight between the internal and external self. That they can't find the dream. They can't find the place that they want to be. They can't find the place where they want to exist because it, it's not real. It's not a place that you can find. It's a, not a place that... that, that that a wish will come true. You know, we're, we don't live in a Disney song. We, you know, we live in a real world and, 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 and the characters in this particular stream are real people and they have real basic wants and desires. And, and, and it's the realness I think that, that, that shines through in every single one of these. Um, the next piece up in our, our, our this particular stream is by uh, Anthony McMahon called Mastering Fears. We never said anything of substance to each other. I waited for her to come home one day and tell me it was over. I waited for years. I would look at her on the couch when we were watching TV and think, why haven't you ended this yet? But she was never going to make the right choice. She was never going to tell me it was over, that we both knew it for so long. She must have been waiting for me to do it. We never talked about it, but we heard it in each other's breath on the couch at night, sitting together but apart. Go, go, go. Why did it take so long for me to do it when we both wanted it? Why couldn't we talk? I think that the character, and I'm just going to just go from my own, again, particular perspective. I think that it's interesting that Anthony chose this particular character to be fighting for people outside of the relationship. He's explaining, the, the character is explaining the relationship. He's living within the relationship. He's talking about the things that happened within the relationship. But what that character is actually fighting for is that friendship. That is outside of the uh, of the relationship, and it's that w war that he talks about explicitly within it, 
that that thing that that somebody has to be chosen by the friends and somebody has to be taken by the friends that this character is really concerned with, which is uh, very, very interesting to me anyway. Uh, Madeline, what do you think? Yeah, it makes me question the relationship if that's the that's where it ultimately stands. Um, I I feel like too. I have to say the image that the piece opens with. I have hairs like that within my own clothes all the time. <laughs> it was so vivid. I knew exactly what was being described. I think I pulled those taut hairs like that have sort of knotted themselves within things, like at l- multiple times a week. And I know, and I feel like there is a particular kind of pain and sensation to it that was so specific to me that I I was kind of locked right into it um and to that point too I love how it ends with it sort of being in this place of like I feel like the character debating like am I at the wrong or is the other person at the wrong and when am I going to find out because I'm probably not going to find out till it's at its worst um so that was a particular that's what I walked away sort of really identifying with and sort of the I don't know it's a little unsettling in some ways to think that maybe you won't really ever know until it's you know, your whole, like, everyone has chosen the side of the other person or or however how it goes. And I, I, I liked that debate because there was something really serious there, but then there was also something kind of fun and neurotic about it that I really liked. Yeah, it rides this certain blade between which side you're going to fall down on and, and how you're going to take this particular piece. It was one of the things that fascinated me about it. Now, any any thoughts, Melanie? Uh, yeah, I well, I, I, I feel it was a breakup piece, right, talking about trying to break up but having a very difficult time doing it and interesting that you would stay in a relationship while you wanted the other person to break up with you because you didn't want to be the bad guy right (laughs) and then they called it mastering fears and i think he was trying to master the fear or of trust right trusting someone enough that you could love them and trusting that they love the fact that they loved you didn't make them a freak like, it's almost sounded like, oh, she, why is she not breaking up with me? Or why is this person not breaking up with me? There must be something wrong with them. I can't trust them because they're not breaking up with me. Mm-hmm. Right? I found that no, so I, interesting. I completely yeah, it's, agree. It's, it's, it's intriguing and a very difficult thing to listen to sometimes. Because it's, I, I think that's also one of the things that we all do to ourselves constantly. Like, I, be, I bet you every single one of us has that monologued inside of our own heads at least once in our lives going, why in the hell is this person being so nice to me? I They should be kicking me off to the curb right now. Okay, this is the way it should be. Sorry, Sean, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, I wrote down that this is a, a, a monologue about about trust and that it feels like that's rooted in so much of this entire episode because all of these relationships and the insecurities in these relationships, it's, it's this lack of trust, you know, jumping ahead briefly to Michael's peeps, you know, there's, there's, there's a question of, you know, do I trust that if I put myself out there, I'm going to be heard. I'm not going to be heard, you know, uh, in, uh, Madeline's piece there's again it's that insecurity of like I'm just gonna say this I'm gonna put it out there you know uh she that character I believe is feeling in a place of trust at that very brief moment in the relationship (laughs) she has the trust to take a step forward to put herself out there uh a lot of these other characters don't or they're trying to you know build up uh the, the 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 kind of bravery to move forward even if they don't trust what's gonna happen next and the thing that I really loved about Anthony's metaphor to open up with uh, the hair. I feel like uh, Anthony was taking that line from in Sky Song. There was a line about being tangled up in bed, which was taken from Madeline's piece. And I feel like the tangled up metaphor kind of got transformed into this hair being tangled up in the in the clothes. And the hair to me was a representative of the character's guilt. The character, I think, felt guilty about the way that he uh, maintained this relationship, the way that he acted in the relationship. He wanted the other character to break up with him because then it would alleviate the guilt and make him feel like he wasn't such a bad person, that it wasn't me. But that he didn't even get that. So now he's he has nothing. He, all he has is the knowledge that he sucked, he was a bad partner, and he feels like there's got to be some penance for that. 
that there has to be some uh, comeuppance. And at the end, he says, that's why is the pain in my foot the the comeuppance that I deserve for being such a shitty boyfriend, being such a shitty partner. Um, I'll mention that Anthony wrote it to be non-gender specific. Uh, the way that we cast it and performed it, it's pretty obviously like a boyfriend-girlfriend. Uh, that wasn't inherent in what Anthony wrote. He wrote it so it could be a woman or a man. But whatever it is, it's a relationship. And uh, the the fact that it's a hair, I think, I don't know if it's an intentional metaphor, but to me what it brings to mind is is the the kind of Catholic concept of a hair shirt. That it is, it is penance. It is self-harm to uh, pay for the harm that you have caused. And that it's hair being wrapped up in clothes. To me, that seems like an obvious metaphor, but I don't know if that was intentional. <laughs> Michael, it wasn't an obvious metaphor? Well... I, I took the hair and and it's being it's it's impediment it's impediment and the uh, and the pain it was causing to be a metaphor for the instability of his psyche in that you know as as he's expressing himself the idea that uh, if he can't move forward um, it's in part because of this metaphor you know, uh, come to life, you know, inflicting this pain, hindering him, uh, hamstringing him, bleeding him out, draining him, uh, entangling him. Uh, all of that struck with me. It's like those dreams that you have when you're being chased and you're caught in the vines. You know that dream we all have. The, <laughs> the vine dream. dream. Of course, yeah. And you're, you're running and you're running. And I call it the Tuesday dream, but <laughs> the Tuesday dream. But yeah, I'm not being very articulate here. Obviously, oh. we've all had those nightmares, those running in the place nightmares, and I felt that, well, for me at least, um, he was drowning in blood, he was drowning in pain, he was hindered, he was entangled, and he couldn't move forward. Yeah, I, I think I think you're quite correct on that too. He keeps coming back to that same thing over and over and over again. He keeps saying it was you, 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 it was you. But it was him and him and him and him and him. And I love the fact that he's playing everything off as that that is internally going wrong with himself as something that is externally going wrong with somebody else. I mean, I think that's that that's that's wonderful. One of the wonderful things about this particular character is that nothing for him is based with him. It's always on the outside. He talks about himself uh, in in real terms only uh, in the first section, and it's all a metaphor about losing his toe. Except we know that doesn't isn't happening. We know it's just an extension of this image in his head. That's just him going, I am, I am being hurt because of the things that I've done. Oh, woe is me. You know, he's got that kind of feeling of I'm expounding to the world what is wrong with, with the end of my relationship. Doesn't that make me a good person? You know, he's, he's got that deeply twisted version of reality of if if things keep happening to me, that makes me good in the end, doesn't it? You know, uh, the other the other small thing that I'll say is that uh, although, as I mentioned previously, uh, Anthony wrote it to uh, be gender neutral. I feel like the beginning of this piece where the character has their toe, you know, has some hair wrapped around their toe that cuts off the circulation a bit. And they're just like, Oh my God, it's falling off. It's, Oh my God, I'm going to be bleeding everywhere. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. I'm dying. It's just, it's like, that's a man. That is a man. That's not a woman. Yeah, has, there has never been more of a man thing, a crying through the cold thing. Yeah, no, it, it's a, it's a big man thing. I, I, I also love the, the, the other, wonderful little thing that 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 pops up in that second section is that 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 lovely concept of of who leaves a dyson i mean who could leave a dyson my god what's the, what that's just so wrong it was like 
If this is the thing that you're basing your relationship around is a vacuum cleaner to pick up the hair that she's left that's hurting your toe, you're in deep trouble, my friend. It's an odd thing to leave, though. Dysons are expensive. Those aren't cheap <laughs> vacuum cleaners. It's confusing. Like, what? why would you leave a Dyson? It also feels like, you know, uh, the why would you leave a Dyson line is like, you know, 300 years in the future when people are studying Anthony McMahon's pieces like Shakespeare. That's something that will have to be written on the other side of the page. Uh, where there's a little star that says, at the time, Dysons were particularly expensive vacuums. That <laughs> I feel like, too, what I, what I like about this piece in podcast format, well, and I guess probably with any normal audience, is it's fun, too, that there is no feedback. So I feel like you've got this person who's probably egged on by the fact that there is no sway. Like, it's kind of, I like hearing him struggle because there's no, like, no one's encouraging him that, yes, he's in the right or no, he's in the wrong. And I that's sort of, I can feel the anxiety building in some way that I like. Yeah, it's, it's a beauty of, it's, it's part of the beautiful nature of monologues is that, Unless you're so specific that that you know exactly who you're talking to and how they're going to respond at every instant, you kind of get lost in that 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 mental picture of 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 floating in a space where nothing is concrete anymore, where everything is just amorphous. It doesn't make a difference what's going on around you. It's just it's lost. You are lost within the space that is just boundless. And it, it comes out very clear in this one. Uh, but I think we should move on to our next piece, which is... Uh, actually, I have a few comments sure. from Anthony. Oh, I forgot. Uh, yes. So Anthony's I'll... not here. I'm sorry. Yes, that's all right. But uh, I asked him uh, what he took. And he says, I really took the line, did my inaction cause a reaction to happen within? And ran with it about a breakup. Someone exploring all the roads not taken, how much any relationship is just a durational act of trust, how the breakup fractures your life and you have to hold it together. And I'm not really sure why, but I had this image of what if Neil Simon and Carol Churchill collaborated and had fun. <laughs> so that's where he came from. And I have to say, the did my inaction cause a reaction to happen within, although it's a it's a great line in Sky's uh, song, and it's amazing that he took that and turns it into his piece uh i i just i find it's just it's like that's what you took yeah <laughs> that's it's it's a it's because the saw the, the line is itself almost this this ouroboros tongue twister that it's almost like it's it's a confusing line to even think about and it's so anthony to take almost the most <laughs> ambiguously confusing line and say like that's what i'm gonna write about <laughs> Now, let's move on to uh, the next piece in our stream today. It is uh, Bloodletting by Ellis Meek. From my raft and the red blood floods the dawn This neurotic nervousness will surely never mix This is exactly the kind of thing that I know I'll never miss What I wrote down here is that, that to me, it turned out that this was a literal translation of Anthony's piece, just from a slightly different angle. Instead of talking about it in concrete terms, Ellis played with it in an imagery and philosophical way, I think. At least that's the way it felt to me. I, I loved the line at the end where he said, confused, conditioned, and confined in my own mind. What's the use of trying to let anyone inside? And I, I just get the feeling that he keyed in on the concept of what it would be like in this, guy, in, in this person's mind and just let himself play with that. Yeah, no, I love how you've articulated that. Um, and certainly I felt like there was a kind of what I think I take away most vividly from that song was the kind of momentum and energy behind it. And the, the sort of, I don't know, there was something kind of chaotic and big about it that I love that I, I, you know, you almost want that release to just kind of let it all go. 
Um, and if I was working with uh, Anthony's monologue, I would totally pull on the blood, like the con- the blood imagery and that sort of thing. That's exactly. I, that's like me looking back on Sean's piece and being like, why didn't I go for the fire? It's like, blood is the, again, that really like amazing thing to go with. So I think that really excited me about the pieces is, is knowing that that was kind of the starting point in hearing the title and seeing how that was played with throughout. Yeah, I think a big thing for me was the imagery that Anthony created when he was talking about this bear trap in the sock and finding the hair everywhere and the nose daggers and... I just kind of took that dark imagery and really put it to how I was feeling at the time. And I was kind of going through some some stuff myself that I thought was kind of relevant to the topic of, of the song. And Anthony's piece, I just thought, really spoke to me on a visual sense. And that's kind of when I went with the idea of, you know, actually bloodletting and this idea of, you know, flooding the dawn. Mm-hmm with this cascade of, of red. Well, the thing, the thing that I love so much about uh, the bloodletting metaphor um, is within the structure of our episode, you get it as a, like a key moment in dealing with a relationship. You know, if we're talking about beginnings, middles and endings, you can have Anthony's piece as being, you know, post breakup, the pain, the guilt, the questioning, did I make the right decisions? Did the other person make the wrong decisions? Am I to blame? Are they to blame? Will I always be lonely? You know, uh, how many calories are in this ice cream? All that stuff. And your song then is almost like the next step. It's like, you know, like the seven stages of grief, or that's probably not even the right amount of stages, whatever it is. It's like, the next step is to say, let's let it all out and then we can start again. It's bloodletting. It's let's let's let all of those toxins out. Let's just primal scream this away. Let's just rant and rave. And then once it's out and we're clean of all of that, those feelings, we can start healing. We can start over again. And it's almost like this cycle of love and relationships that this episode is talking about. And then, you know, and so I, it's such a key part of it is 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 being able to start over again you know so i, I really loved that. i also like the fact that, that that if we're talking about the metaphor of bloodletting that uh, the bloodletting is 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 sincerely in a number of instances as a metaphor about death and uh uh i i like the idea that 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 this person is trying to die to get back to his sort of normalcy that 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 they haven't had before I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring up death. Ah, no, not in the relationship issue. Melanie will brighten it up. <laughs> Melanie, what do you think? Um, yeah, I just feel like I never really thought about bloodletting before. I'm not even really sure what that is. Is that when you, um, somebody's sick and you take the blood out and put new blood in? Or, yeah. Or yeah. What? No, medieval uh, doctors would cut people. Right, let to get rid of bleed the... out to get rid of the toxins, but they wouldn't put anything else back in. It was just like, nope, we're just taking it out, people. <laughs> wow. It's not a reputable form of healthcare. So this, yeah, yeah. let's just put that out there. People do not try this at home. It's not actually going to help you. Yeah, yeah. No, but I thought it was really um, intense and powerful. And just having the word blood, like as a title, bloodletting as a title, I just thought it was so strong. And not knowing really what it was, I felt like it was about letting go, which is basically the same thing, right? Letting go of whatever is toxic in you, like Sean said, and, and letting it out, hopefully, so that you could start over. And I thought that was mm-hmm. just beautiful. And beautifully sung, too. Like, nice. Yeah, absolutely. Ellis has a stunning voice. His song, yes. uh, Rain, Rain is uh, tremendous. Um, Michael, anything to add to this? I know we're gonna we're gonna get into your piece in just a minute, but is there anything outside of what you took from it for your piece that you'd like to talk about? Sure, because I I think I actually kind of took elements from the from the the wonderful song and just threw everything else away. I wanted to. <laughs> I, I was so. I don't know. I th- it was a pretty harrowing thing, to be entirely honest. The song, the imagery was so vivid. The idea of healing through hurting, 
you have to bleed to heal, that bloodletting is all about finding balance and whatnot. And this person was so in my mind listening to the song, obviously unbalanced. I, I really needed to shake it off. And I think that helped springboard me into my monologue. But uh, like it was an affecting song, is an affecting song. Which should bring us actually to the uh, piece by Mr. Michael Ripley called Butcher Block. I'm an apprentice butcher, which basically means I'm the one who makes the sausage. I don't know who said it, that thing about knowing how sausage is made, and I understand they were talking about laws or whatever, but seriously, you legit don't want to know how we make them. I don't really date. There's a lot of reasons for that. My hands are cold all the time, I often have meat in my hair, and I'm in love with someone. Someone I don't technically know. We haven't really talked. He's said like nine words to me. 300 grams of Black Forest ham. Debit and thanks. I think he might be a potter. Not sure why, just a feeling. And his eyes, they are so blue. Deep, deep blue with these like lines radiating out as if someone laid a sapphire on a black anvil and smashed it with a hammer. And his smell? No, trust me, when someone enters your sphere after you... I, I, I love the fact, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably... Uh, portray you as portray this as something that's quite different from the way you that you thought but i love the absolute innocence actually um of, of this character uh i it, it was such a recall for me to go uh, that i went oh my god it's madeline's character as a grown-up man <laughs> and i loved every minute of it <laughs> and and Okay, the, again, take this as the way that I heard it, not the way that you wrote it, Michael. I take it that as the fact that this guy has no internal life. He doesn't talk about what he thinks inside. He doesn't worry about what he thinks in light. He feels something. It comes out, except that he's shy. So he doesn't have to do it all the time. And I just absolutely love the fact that he was absolutely genuine in all the moments that he was talking about. He wasn't thinking internally. He was just reacting to the external world, <laughs> although he's a bit shy. Well, that's great to hear. Like, I, I think he is kind of a man-child, absolutely. Um, I did write it for a man, though I feel it could have been a woman as well, and that might have been interesting, uh, if only because from gender stereotype from a gender stereotype perspective, you rarely see a woman placed in that type of occupation. Um, and obviously, for well, for obvious reasons, a woman's um, uh, a woman's relationship with blood is very different than that of a man's. But the 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 innocence that you speak of, um, I agree with that to a certain extent. I think he's a simple person uh, who. Um, doesn't necessarily is isn't a hundred percent comfortable with his feelings and uh yet has a poet inside of him um uh, and when he meets this person he huh, he imagines that he is that poet in the projected relationship of their future um but you know, more than anything, I love the idea, listening to the song, the, the idea of a romantic declaration made by someone in a blood spattered apron, you know, behind a <laughs> behind a mountain of kielbasa. Like I just, I just, I love the absurdity of that. And Carl Bauer, just I, I cannot say it enough. I've known Carl for years. And it was amazing casting because if anyone has met Carl in real life, he is a he is a mountain. So uh, it was wonderful to picture him. Obviously, I didn't see him record it, but 
to imagine him delivering this monologue, which I will insist that he does for me the next time I meet him in person. <laughs> <laughs> and he is such a man's man. Well, that... So it is. It, it was great to see him explore uh, uh, a homosexual love. Um, um, you know those themes. It was uh, yeah. It was. I was very pleased with it. I was also um, delighted by the foley that you put in there, Sean. Rather masterfully, <laughs> the the. The slaps of the meat on the board and the chops, well-timed. It was obviously put in there by someone with a sense of timing. I, I loved the opportunity to give humorous meat slaps, I, I have to say. <laughs> uh, because there aren't that many of them, but, you know, like, you listen to it. And it when I listen to the monologue and I'm just like, mm, right here is where you need to hear the big splat <laughs> of a bunch of meat hitting the counter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there were rim shots on a few occasions. Yeah. They were great. I thought about taking it that way, Michael. I really did think about <clears throat> trying a, to have a female voice uh, with it. But I thought that the innocence actually of the character, or the way that I took the character when I first read it, I thought that the innocence of the character would come through a lot more clearly if it was from a male perspective. And that it's this person that's fighting against the stereotype of himself as a butcher, the stereotype of himself as a man, and the stereotype of not knowing who this other person is, whether that person is uh, uh, has that same kind of reaction to sexuality as he does. And I thought that would be strengthened by the concept of, of, of a man doing it. And as you said, I couldn't think of anybody more manly than Carl. And and just no, just the fact that the, the, the way that he talks, he's always got no matter what happens in the end, you listen to him in a Brooklyn accent. I don't care what anybody says. He doesn't have a Brooklyn accent, but you listen to him like hey, that because that's the way it. that he is. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so you have this kind of hyper masculinity that's then talking from a, a perspective of not weakness, but um, vulnerability, vulnerability. Exactly. That from from a place where if you saw this person coming up the street at you, you would hide because you would be so scared of this person. And yet he's talk, coming coming from a very 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 vulnerable vulnerable place. And I thought that was captured better by that male voice. Yeah, I liked that juxtaposition too, and I I really enjoyed Carl's performance of it. And it's cool how what was kind of left behind from my song is that just that imagery of blood and it's so funny it's kind of this macabre humorous stab at it i think individually one piece to the next yeah you take the 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 blood metaphor and you you take it forward into this other context the relationship but within you know the whole episode it just feels like it's a continuation of the cycle you know the person there was bloodletting they've now let out all of their demons from the last relationship and they're ready to find some new love you know and this is this is what happens next they 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 see that cute guy buying uh some meat and they they're gonna slip a little message in there you know and, and i must tell you michael you have a <clears throat> wonderful use of words in this piece and uh it, it's that line where it says um where where your character says like right in the eye like reach pause eye contact takes the meat Okay, I'm sorry. <clears throat> if there has ever been a more wonderful set of words shoved together to make a point, I don't know. I have. <laughs> it's it's a wonderful meet cute, like you say in the piece. This is a hallmark moment right there. You know, that's the. Uh... I don't want to wait for our lives to be over. <laughs> Which brings us to our next and last piece for this particular stream, which is uh, The Corner of Your Street by Melanie Peterson. Tired to understand 
So, Melanie, what did you pull from Michael that got you to where you are? Uh, a lot. Um, you know what I did was I would sit down to write every day just for a couple, for an hour or so, but I would read them all off first. And then I would say, I would like pull out the images that stood out to me at that point and then start writing something and then I'd look at it the next day and, oh, there'd be some more stuff, stuff that I missed the first time that I thought would work because now I had a verse, but I wanted to go into a chorus. And um, so I pulled something out. So I, I pulled really specific things out. Once I figured out that I thought the theme was longing to love and be loved. I thought that might be the theme of the monologue. It certainly could be the theme of my song. And so once I kind of had that idea, then, then it just pretty much wrote itself. But of course I couldn't use a butcher because I just felt that wasn't very musical. <laughs> to, to be able oh, to come on, Sweeney Todd. Worked for Sweeney Todd. True enough, I, I guess I didn't want to steal that. And so I thought, let, let's, make, let's make her a busker, but I thought, and let's make her a woman too. Let's make her me. Um, and uh, that, those feelings when, you're, when, when you love someone from a distance, you know, and, and you think, you hope they feel the same way. Like I got that from his, the way he was. I love the way, I don't know, every time I read it, it made me feel things, which is great. So it was easy to write the song. Uh, I like the fact that you used uh, the word, uh, the, the Michael's character's name, Carrie, yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was, I, he, he said Carrie, Carrie speaking, mm-hmm. which I only yeah. noticed when I re-listened to the show. I, th- I could have swore, even I read it like five times. That he said, Carrie, Carrie here. But actually he said, Carrie speaking, which would have really changed the song. Because I, right? I I, I think it would have, but I really liked your choice of doing Carrie here. Yeah. Because Carrie here, I feel like could mean a lot of different things. And the way that you put it into your song as... A kind of a trailing thought at the end of two different verses that are about two different things it almost feels like it means something different each time mm-hmm. like it you know carrie here could be answering the phone carrie here this is carrie speaking but it could be you know like some kind of condensed version of saying the carrie come here or you know carrie is here like yeah. there's it's like there's so many thoughts wrapped up in carry here you know mm-hmm. and so oh, well i'd like the the thought that the the, the carry here means uh carry i'm here i'm watching you every day yeah mm-hmm. and uh, as that character carry carries here and carry and i'm going to stay here carry here like h-e-a-r right yeah yeah carry here what yeah. i'm saying yeah. again yeah 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 you can yeah, the the lo- the lovely English language allows us to hear it, hear it, whatever way we want. To. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's cool. I kind of thought that each verse gave Carrie here a different meaning as well, kind of like what you were saying, Sean. It's it gained a different dimensionality based on mm-hmm. the the preceding verse. It was really cool. Speaking about the language, though, uh, one thing I'll say is I really liked the title because of the theme that you're talking about. Uh, because you're talking about you're taking this element of longing out of Michael's piece. It's about longing for someone uh, and being alone and not wanting to be alone, but not knowing how to take those steps. And I feel like just the phrase, the corner of your street kind of really captures that in a very brief way, because it's like, I'm on your street, but I'm on the furthest part of your street that I can be. It's your street, but it's the core. I'm almost not on your street. I am all. I'm, my toe is touching your street, and that's it. And I feel like it's you know it's a very good metaphor for the position that Michael's character is in from the butcher block, and your character is in, and just this idea of that place in a relationship, kind of tentatively dipping your toes into the water of someone's street. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny actually that this stream ends on that. 
that we've we've been so deeply entrenched inside of relationships from the middle and then we 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 seem to have start from the beginning gone right down to the breakup and then come right back out to the beginning again we've 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 circled right around as we have in so many of the the the, the past episodes we've gone the beginning and the end is is traipsing within the same territory and the middle just has gone somewhere else it's fascinating well, that's that's romance, man. It's a never-ending cycle. You can never escape it. You, it's it's like the mob. It's like the mafia. You can never get out. Yeah. I picked up on this idea, like like hearkening back to the the title, the idea of um, of neighborhoods and how we develop relationships with people we don't know, but people we become familiar with. Um, whether you're a busker or someone working in a butcher shop or um, just a just a person on their way to the corner store, you there's a familiarity and uh, this sense that well I don't know you just take it for granted, and I just I got the feeling that Carrie was taking her for granted, and she wanted to be seen, and <laughs> I felt like she was singing for Carrie. Um, and little did he know he was carrying your heart and your aspirations and your wants and your yeah. desires, all of that. It was, uh, I love, I love, I love, love, I, I love the way you put that metaphor. I'm, I'm just speaking about the, because of the pandemic and being stuck in place for a long time. I had a young, uh, uh, person that used to jog up and down my street and, uh, literally for Every day for seven, eight months, I would see this person jogging up down the street. And then one day they weren't there. And it was like my heart was kind of broken. I was like, where'd you go? Where did where, I've, I've lost you. I have no idea who this person is. I've never talked to them before. But there was this absolute longing to make sure that this person was okay and still fine and still in the neighborhood. And where are they? And it was like, do I have a relationship with this person that is all about proximity? And I mean, in a way, you can look um, at your character in here that they really have no want of a relationship, that they just want to have that person passing by every day. Because that's what keeps them grounded. I mean, that's... Another way of looking at it, rather than saying that this person is the center of their world or the, the person that they want to be in a relationship with, it's that they need the solidity of that person passing by every day. They need the solidity, and then that's what keeps them grounded in this world that they inhabit. Gives shape to the world, gives it gives context and a, and a sense of what her life is and how everything just fits together. You know, he's part of that picture of the life that she imagines imagines in her mind. Well, uh, anything else to add? No, I just want to thank you again for the opportunity. And I thought, yeah, Melanie, your song was beautiful as well. It was all awesome. Just so cool to see how everything came together. Uh, just, yeah, That's thanks beautiful. for having me. I think it's a brilliant idea that you guys have going on here as a podcast. And I'm looking forward to uh, the next season. I guess, isn't the next season or the next round, uh, you know? Yeah, the next season. Um, I'll echo what everyone else has said, that it, it was a delightful experience. I've actually listened to, I think, all but one of the episodes. And the journey from episode to episode is just fascinating. Each one is uh, really a piece of art unto their own. And um, it's obvious how much care and how much passion you all, well, and expertise you all have brought to this endeavor. And I am super excited to not only listen to it again, but tell everyone I know to uh, 
to tune in as well. Pleasure to have you all on this particular podcast. I'd also like to thank um, the in totality all of the artists that have done things for this particular podcast. The, that was the inclusion of approximately. I'm okay, the count could be off by one or two because there's some doubles up in there. But approximately 81 artists have contributed to the nine episodes that we have been able to produce of this particular podcast. We have created approximately ooh, 18 hours of entertainment uh, for people, and we have given at, at least non-monetary work to uh, artists to... Uh, <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but that's, that's kind of the way it is. Have given uh, uh, a chance for people that at the time that the writing was being done that probably didn't have a good outlet to to do the kind of art that they wanted to and hopefully this has given them something to to look forward to and uh hopefully we get to do more and a lot more and uh, hopefully in the next little while there'll be a little announcement about something else fun to do um sean is there anything you want to add to this uh, thank you list uh not to the thank you list, but I can bring us into our uh, contact information to wrap it up. Uh, if anyone does want to reach us uh, before our second season, uh, they can reach us on uh, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter on all three. Our handle is at VariationsPod. Uh, you can find us on the website, streamsandvariations.com uh, and on there you can find uh, bio information for all of the artists. You can download all of the episodes. You can find all of the prompts. You can download most of the music that has been made. Uh, and uh, if you want to reach us by email, our email is streamsandvariationspodcast at gmail.com. So thank you to everyone who listened uh, over the course of this first season. Um, and uh, yeah, we hope to bring you more content in the future. Mm-hmm.